Petersfield's Shine Radio. Hello, dog lovers. This is Dogs with Jobs, and I'm Kate Fairweather. Just here with a little tidbit of a companion piece to the hunting hounds that we met, Debit and Dervish, in November. This is a little bit of background from Carolyn that was a bit too long to put in the podcast, but it's about how they breed and keep track of the breeding of hounds over time. It's a bit like bloodstock in horses. It's done with enormous care and attention, and it's one of the reasons why the English foxhound has the distinction of being one of the very healthiest and problem-free pedigree breeds. Enjoy. So are you going to show me some stud books? The stud book of every hound in the country, every recognised pack in the country. Right. Every year one of these books is printed and it's called the Foxhound Kennel Stud Book. Okay. Um, and this one's quite fascinating because th- this one goes back to 42, 43 and 44, by the war years. Yeah. And you'll see quite a few hunts. I mean, look, there's a... Oh, that's not a very good example. Well, it's three years in there at one go. And some hunts, like us, um, didn't have any hounds then. We had to send the Hamilton hounds down to Cornwall. We're quite close to France. um, And Portsmouth was just heaving with troops. There we are, look. 1942, 43, 44, no entry. No hounds for entry. Because we couldn't breed any because... It would be, we were just too close to the, the, the action. Um, and would that have happened to any packs? No, one or two other reach? packs. I mean, I think we were just unlucky um, being so close to Portsmouth mm. with mass troops. I had an uncle who was a, a very young army doctor at the time and he drove down to um, Portsmouth um, and he stopped on Portsdown Hill and he looked down and he said, I could have walked to the Isle of Wight across the shipping. There was so much waiting to go on D-Day. Um, makes you feel quite shivery, doesn't it? Too? It does. So anyway, so Captain Vivian, who um, put the pack back together in '45, um, but again, you see, they weren't our hands. They were what we call draft hands. Other packs are very generous. And there, in 1945, Tipperary, which is an Irish dog, mm-hmm. HH, the Hampshire hunt. Yeah. And these were, we were just given those few hands, and that's where we, where they started again. And where you have three that come from Tipperary, and that's I'm assuming Dragon is the sire. Sire of those three, yes. Right, which is why they're all named. Yes, yes. Beginning with the D, because yes. you were explaining yes, earlier. Yes, that's right. They the were uh, naming convention would follow dragon. the sire. That's right, yes. So they follow the bitch or the dog, depending on. Mm. Whereas um, um, the South and West Wilts, which my yeah. son-in-law is now hunts the South and West Wilts, that was David Herring, and they said, look how many they bred. This is wow. in 90... Um, one mm. um, again, a lot of drafts. You see, they're not. And drafts is where it you means get to come a... from another pack. Yes, and a lot of hunts do this. Instead of breeding their own, mm. they tend to get them in from another hunt, or they would probably borrow a dog hound and keep him. For instance, here the Worcestershire looks like they borrowed Hacker, mm. and they used him on two of their bitches. And God, they're all beginning with H. Look at them. Yes. So. And another and actually, lo- you can see the logic yeah, with the um, yeah, initials yeah. because it makes it very easy to identify well, it, 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 the progeny of particular exactly, that's right. dogs that's and why we do it. So these are published every year every and year. every pack would have this and they, would go only, by this. Only if they buy them. How far back do the stud books go? Here is volume one, printed in 1800. But then oh in those Lord. days, they did lumped together many, many years. Right. And many packs were privately owned, so they didn't say, you know, the Hursley Hamilton, they would say, or the, the Mendip, they would say 
Um, the name of the owner? You know, Lord somebody or other, um, because hounds were, yeah, Lord Middleton's hounds, you see. They mm. were privately owned, and if and when they decided to give up, they would sell their hounds in those days to uh, big sales at places like Reading. They had huge hound sales. That doesn't happen anymore. Hounds, as I said earlier, are only given or drafted. They're never sold. And what's the significance of that, do you think, when it comes to the breed as a whole? Well, I think one of the reasons... The fact that they're not bought and sold. It keeps any profit. Absolutely out of it. And it means you're breeding for excellence, you're breeding for quality, you're breeding for type. Or you might be breeding to win at Peterborough. (laughs) Which is the and other? What's at Peterborough? Peterborough is the Royal Foxhound Show. It is the Royal Ascot of the Hound World, and to win at Peterborough is the greatest accolade um, you can get. The slightly downside of that is that people then who are a little bit inexperienced about hound breeding and wouldn't perhaps do their research enough to say that it was a frightfully good dog hound up at a pack, you know, say in the Midlands or something like that. Oh, I see so and so won Peterborough this year we'll send our bitch to him, regardless of whether it's suitable. Mm. And so what um, is now being found is that what we call the gene pool is getting very small mm. because every pack seems to be using the same sort of dogs. And I did notice that when I was doing a bit of research, that in 2019 there were a couple of particular dog hounds that had sired 38 and 33 litters. So that, I guess, is exactly that in action, isn't it, where you get... A couple of key well, that's sires. The, the, you know, it's a combination mm. of, understandably, mm. inexperience now in the hound world because people, you know, many years ago, it was a different world and far more people were able to hunt and had people perhaps help them keep the horses and all that sort of thing. Now it's either your wife or you do it yourself. And there aren't the great hunting families anymore. Mm. Um and therefore, there aren't quite so many of the traditional um, knowledgeable people, sadly, around. The great hound breeders, you know, are going. Um, and therefore, if you're, you know, a new mastership team and perhaps your huntsman, um, you know, is not, um, hasn't perhaps had a lot of experience either, mm. it's terribly easy to say, oh, look, this dog won Peterborough, or this dog won yeah. at Hunterton or some of the other hound shows. Why don't we send her there? Mm. Um, and so, so I guess the fact that they're not bought and sold and the collaborative nature of the hunting community all over the UK, because I think there's something like 250 packs yes, in the UK, yes, yes. that militates against too much narrowing of the gene pool, I'm guessing, because it is possible to bring in, a, as you say, outcross, to bring in a, to draft in a, a new dog. It is possible, but you, again, like all these things, you'd have to know what you're doing. Mm. Um, And it's quite easy to get, um, there you see in the book, look, there's 1,274 and a half couples from our 305 packs of foxhounds in the UK. So um, it's quite interesting. Um, it's, uh, It's quite easy to get a, a hound in from outside, but as I said, the pool is getting smaller. And when you do your pedigree, which... Um, oh, now this is a huge, great folder or book. <laughs> What's in here, Carolyn? These are all the pedigrees that I write out by hand. Right. Lots of certificates and... No, these just just hand. OK. These are the hand pedigrees that I write out by hand, mm. having looked them up in the stud books. Mm. Um, and what I do 
just to really help me as much as anything. When I first started doing it, I, if I saw what you need to do is you need to look at the dogs breeding. Mm-hmm. That's New Forest Buccaneer, who was the most wonderful, broken-coated Welsh hound that Sir Newton Rycroft had at the New Forest, and many people used him. But if you want to then use him on one of your bitches, you need to go and look and see if you can pick up the same breeding um, in the bitch. And if it's too close, well, then you can't go down that road. And how do you judge what is too close? Fourth generation is considered acceptable. Okay. So um, so what I did when I was learning to do this is I tipexed out and see here you've got Portman Peddler and there's Portman Peddler. Right. So that's okay. Um, if Portman Peddler was here and here... It would be too close. So these are, in effect, family trees. Yes, these, these are the pedigrees, pedigrees of all the hounds. And, and a lot of people nowadays, you can look them up online, mm. but you don't learn it like you do when you sit there and painfully write it out by hand. Mm. And I enjoy doing it, um, apart from anything else. And, and how many...? We would aim to have three litters a year, right. if we can, um, which is quite enough for us. Mm. Um, yes, and how, would... what's the size of a typical litter? Well... They vary. Um, mm. Sometimes they can be... What's ideal is about seven to nine. That's quite enough. Mm. Um, and occasionally you only get a couple. Um, and sometimes you get a huge litter, um, like... I um, can't remember now, looking back. Sometimes you get a very big litter. But the bitch can only cope with so many. Mm. And they, do, they can't all thrive when there are too many of them. So about, you know... The ideal litter would be two dogs and four bitches. <laughs> um, but it doesn't work like that, unfortunately, always. Yeah. But um, And how long before you can judge a particular pairing? I mean, I'm guessing that you, you'll put them together, the puppies come however many weeks later, and then they won't be working until a good 18 months on, most exactly, probably. Yes, it's... So you need a season... The first season probably isn't representative, I'm guessing. No, I think... Um, but you're starting to judge it after a couple of years, aren't you? Oh, absolutely, yes. And also, as I said earlier, you breed... You know, the old saying, you put the best of the best and hope for the best. <laughs> um, you, you know, you do... You would breed from your good workers. I mean, I used to go to the kennels and um, when we had a very good huntsman and he paid me such a lovely compliment one day he said you never come in here and say who's the best looking hound all you ever ask me is how good are they at their work mm-hmm. and then nine times out of ten you find they are probably the best looking one because their confirmation is right it's like a horse when you say confirmation that's how the body's put the together. body's put together where they've got a lovely long stride whether they're um you, you know if, if they've got what we call tied in at the elbows the elbow's got to go past the ribs mm-hmm. if that's a bit tied in they're not going to move quite so well. And similarly, you want a lovely hind leg with a lovely second thigh, lovely long hind leg, which will drive them on. You know, you've got to watch a cheetah move. These great hind legs drive them on. Same with a hound. So if you've got what we call a little cobby hound, it's up and down, up and down, up and yeah. down. It doesn't mean to say it's not a good hound, and it might have a brilliant nose, and it might be just what you need in a thick bit of brambles where the wretched trail man's fooled, trying to fool us and gone around the other side of it. Um... And so, you know, that's what makes a pack. You have to have a little bit of everything in there. Yes. Um, and uh, hopefully, when the stew's cooking well, it all works. I mean, it, it's... I mean, some people probably don't quite understand the passion of 
the breeding of hounds, but it, it, it's difficult to explain. And once they're working, I remember doing an interview years ago for an American um, television company, and I remember saying, oh, when you hear those hounds speak, or cry, spark, whatever you want to, we all say hounds speak, um, and it sends a ripple down your spine. It's a bit like going to the opera when you hear this wonderful aria, and if that doesn't move you, you've wasted your money on the ticket. And that's how I feel about hounds when they speak. And I just love them. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. My name's Blake, I'm a brand new voice here on Petersfield Shine Radio. My name's Blake, I'm a brand new voice here on Petersfield Shine Radio. My name's Blake, brand new voice, brand new voice, I'm a brand new voice here on Petersfield Shine Radio, brand new voice, brand new voice. Hello, my name's Blake. Join me if you can, we'll have some games, fun, music and a whole lot more on a show where, honestly, anything can happen. Hello, my name's Blake. Saturday, 3pm, right here. Petersfield's Shine Radio.